hymn books give way to PowerPoint slides, church organs to electric guitars, offering bags become online transfers, local churches become Bible study groups, online communities, the metaverse is an insistence on local churches simply a clinging on to an outmoded way of the Christian life. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review The Local Church, What It Is and Why It Matters by Edward W. Clink III. 176 pages published by Crossway on October 2021. This book review is made possible by Crossway's blog review program. I get the book for free, but Crossway has no input in today's review. Now let's go on to the review. Have you asked or heard this question before? Why should the church meet physically when online services are just as good? How do you answer? Oh, it's different. Physical is better. Online is not what God intended. The conversation can go back and forth with no end in sight. Everybody has an opinion, experiences to share. Everyone has their own ideas of what a church is, what a church service is and could be, and sometimes, just sometimes, they might even put forward Bible verses to support their position. And that's the wrong way of doing it. Don't start with a position and search the Bible to support that position. Start with the Bible. What does the Bible say about the church? Cutting through the noise, anger, frustration, confusion, in this book, Clink offers theological clarity and pastoral assurance. Indeed, what does the Bible say about the church? His biography reads, Edward W. Clink III, a PhD from University of St. Andrews, is the senior pastor of Hope Evangelical Free Church in Roscoe, Illinois, and part-time professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. He previously served as associate professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. End quote. PhD, part-time professor, associate professor, Oh dear, is this going to be a tough book to read? You have got nothing to worry about. Clink explains in his introduction, quote, Although much of my writing thus far has been for scholars or the trained pastor, this book was written with the lay person in view, the average Christian. That does not mean it avoids all meat, for I certainly intended to push readers to broaden their biblical and theological categories as they think about the Christian life and the church. Yet, I spend time in the book explaining key concepts and practices, and even include analogies and stories to help make the material more accessible. This book was written with the pastoral intention of offering a resource for catechizing Christians by explaining the church to them. It is an introduction to the local church. End quote. Now let's let's listen to the structure and let uh, I'll let you hear for yourself how accessible this book is. After the introduction, you have the first chapter, and there are six chapters in all in this 176-page book. The first chapter is titled "What Isn't the Church." Right off the bat, Clink corrects a few wrong ways to think of the church. After explaining what isn't the church, in the next chapter, Kling explains what is the church. 
Then the third chapter is, why does the church exist? Followed with, how does the church function? After the Christian understands the what, why, and how of the church, Klink poses the most pertinent question today. What is the connection between a Christian and a church? The last chapter is then titled, 20 Common Questions About the Local Church. Klink loves his alliteration. Every chapter title has a P-letter word next to it. Thus, the chapters can be understood as Problem, Principle, Purpose, Process, Participation, and Practice. Okay, those are the um, equivalent chapter titles for the, the chapters in this book. By organizing the book as a series of questions, the reader immediately sees the relevance. These are not ivory tower abstract ideas. Although you still should not skip chapters to read the answer to that one question that's bothering you, because each chapter builds on the chapter preceding it. Even the last chapter, 20 Common Questions About the Local Church, uh, his answer makes better sense if you have read the preceding chapters. And now let's just have a look at uh, how he writes. Let's look at the first chapter, which is the problem, describing the problem. And, he, and the question he poses over here is, what isn't the church? Kling breaks it down to four common misperceptions. Number one, the church is not a metaphor. Number two, the church is not coffee with friends. Number three, the church is not a human project. Number four, the church is not a voluntary society. Uh, for today's review, I'll just look at number two and number three. Uh, I was very uh, interested in these uh, topics. And uh, I would say here that you have to get ready to be corrected when you read these chapters. Not only uh, being corrected on your wrong way of looking at the church, but also the wrong way you have looked at your favorite Bible verses. When Kling says that the church is not coffee with friends, he points out that this idea is derived from a mistaken reading of Matthew 18 verse 20, which says, For where two or three gathered are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Wrong interpretations lead to wrong applications. By taking Matthew 18.20 to mean that Jesus or the church is wherever two or three Christians gather, it has led some to think, I don't need the church, or at least not the church that those rigid traditionalists think about. I just need to gather two or three like-minded Christians and Christ is with us. We don't need organized religion. We just need each other. Other. Now, how do you respond to that sort of thinking, that sort of mindset? This is Kling's response. I quote, Too often, the way Christians speak of the church is really another way of talking about any gathering of Christians that involves aspects of fellowship and biblical spiritual topics. But the church is more than the cumulative collection of Christians, no matter its spiritual fruitfulness. End quote. Notice here a few things. Clink acknowledges that there is fellowship, there is biblical spiritual content, and there is spiritual fruitfulness. He is not denying any of these good things. Clink is just telling us firmly that the church is not reduced or limited or only this coffee with friends. And it's not because Clink, the pastor theologian, said so. 
Come, he says, come and read the Bible for yourself. He zooms out of Matthew 18 verse 20 and shows us the surrounding verses, verses 15 to 20. He writes, I quote, The context makes clear that it is not a magical number gathered together that makes Christ present, but that the symptom of Christ's authoritative presence in the church is a proper handling of sin in a local church. So, end quote. So, people have misunderstood. That's a very common misunderstood verse, by the way, which makes one be a bit more careful when you say, when two or three gather together, they are am with them. Uh, which is true, uh, Jesus also said in uh, Matthew 28 that uh, I will be with you to the end of the age. So Clink is, uh, has also uh, pointed that out, that the sentiment or the truth, the assurance of Christ with us is true. But it should not be taken to think that uh, it is permission or, uh, or saying that we don't need the local church anymore. So that would be a wrong application. Uh, when Clink continues on in his exposition, Clink emphasizes that Matthew 18 verse 20 uh, is summarizing, okay? It's summarizing one aspect of what the church does in contrast to what the church is. And this is an important distinction. Uh, Clink later writes, The order is important. What the church is, in principle, comes before and explains what the church does in practice. End quote. If you don't know the difference. If you're not able to distinguish between what the church is and what the church does, you can easily make what Kling says is a category mistake. If church is understood to simply be a place where you do things, a place where you fellowship, worship, hear a sermon and pray, then it's easy to just replace that gathering with an alternate form of a Christian community, a loose gathering at Starbucks or an online chat group. You can be a Christian without going to church. I have more to say on this, but um, let us move on to another flawed notion that Kling, has point, that Kling points out in this book. And that flawed notion is to see the church as solely or primarily a human project. Now, when I reflect on this uh, section, I was uh, thinking we are very quick to say that the church is not a building but the people. Yes? Yes? Mm. So if a mob crashes through the gates, mobs with paintbrushes and pots of paint, and they say, my church, my colours, the only colour on the wall must be, so on and so forth. And it can be about colours on the wall, colours of the carpet or music or whatever it may be. Dress code, yeah? So the, the people tend to fight a lot or quarrel a lot in the church about the church building. So let's imagine if someone, a brave soul, was to come between the mob and the sacred church carpet or the sacred church walls and he calls out, Hold on! Remember! Remember that the church is not the building. The church is the people. And the mob returned to their senses, returned their paintbrushes to their sheds, and returned back home. Now, the statement that the church is not a building but the people is true. We can point to the Greek word ecclesia and show how every time the New Testament authors speak of the church, they were not speaking of a building. However, while that statement is true, it does not mean that the church is of the people, by the people, for the people. I can imagine some people thinking it isn't 
That's a surprise. And no, it isn't. Clink writes, uh, I quote, According to the Bible, the church is a divine institution because of the necessary connection between the Lord Jesus Christ and his body, the church. This connection is the theological ground upon which any understanding of the church stands. By saying theological, I mean that the significance of this connection requires a summary of the scripture's message on the topic. Scripture teaches us that the church has a necessarily derivative character, which means the church is not original, it is born from the incarnate body of Christ, it is secondary, it is under the lordship of Christ, and it exists because of another. Its power is based on the death and resurrection of Christ. End quote. Hmm? So it is derivative. It is not original. It is secondary. And it exists because of another. Later on, Clink quotes John Webster, who says, I quote, The church is not constituted by human intentions, activities, and institutional or structural forms, but by the action of the triune God realized in Son and Spirit. End quote. Now, this is not just mouthing banalities, just, just talking uh, hot air. This impacts the way you live as a Christian, the way you see the church. On one side, you have people promoting how to be a Christian without going to church. So you have a group of people thinking that way. On another way, on this side, the, the, I would say the biblical side, Kling says that the church is a divine institution better understood as the church of God by God for the glory of God. Kling closes off this section with this very strong and important message. I quote, Any minimization of the church or disassociation from the church by a Christian is actually a rejection of God himself for the church is his institution and his ministry. End quote. I've only shared two of Kling's correction over here. The church is not coffee with friends and the church is not a human project. Depending on how you were brought up or, or what you see as the problem in your church, you could find the other um, misconceptions, uh, which is the church is not a metaphor, the church is not a voluntary society. Now you could find those other uh, misperceptions to be a bigger eye-opener. Scales may drop from your eyes. Um, and you may realize that you have been reading some Bible verses wrongly. You have been seeing the church in a wrong lens. So, hmm, what is the right way to see the church? And uh, that's where we go to the next chapter. Having stated the negative case of what isn't the church, Clink moves on to the positive case of what is the church. And he does so by explaining the seven attributes extracted from the Bible centered on God. Now, as I read the seven attributes uh, here, I invite you to think what it might mean in relation to your church. The seven attributes are, number one, the church attributes, okay? Number one, the pleasure of God. Number two, the people of God. Number three, the presence of God. Number four, the power of God. Number five, the proclamation of God. Number six, the provision of God. Number seven, the purpose of God. Clink loves his alliteration. He loves P-letter words. Alliteration is a useful memory device, which you can test how useful it is. 
I'm sure if you pause this podcast now, you will remember some, if not all, of the seven attributes of the church just listed. Those are nice P words, the seven P words. Now, these seven attributes did not emerge from a man's vision of what the church should be, like some Christian version of Plato's Republic. Consider when Kling says that the church is the pleasure of God, he quotes part of Isaiah 43 verse 1 to 7, which uh, says, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. You are precious in my eyes and honoured, and I love you, whom I created for my glory. So that's from the Bible. And from here, Kling says that the church has the attribute, which is it is the pleasure of God. Then when Kling says that uh, the church is the provision of God, he quotes Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, which begins with Jesus saying, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So as he expounds from the biblical text, Kling draws from other commentaries and resources which he footnotes. In the second chapter, for example, he cites John Calvin, the London Baptist Confession, J.I. Packer, John Frame, just to mention a few names. So you can see he offers the meat he promised, so there is meat, and the meat is neatly diced, seasoned and grilled for easy chewing. No matter how much you think you know, or how much you really do know about the church, you will appreciate the insights, even if it's just the way Clink puts it all together. Let me share another uh, aspect. Now, we are familiar with the vertical and horizontal aspect of Christian relationship. Vertical is a relationship between us and God. Horizontal is the relationship between us and others. Now, Clink in this book puts it differently. He puts it as there is an upward outward and inward uh, relationship. Uh, Upward is us worshipping God. Outward reflects God's missional focus, while inward reflects God's affection to his people. Now, reading this uh, chapter, I was was reflecting about the inward aspect that uh, Klink mentions here, uh, the loving one another part of the church. And maybe it's because of the arguments within the church on how to respond to COVID or seeing people in the church suffering due to the economic downturn. When we strongly disagree with others, do we disagree in a way that demonstrates love? When we see people suffer, do we help? Do you know if anyone in your church is suffering? Are you comfortable sharing your own trials and needs with someone in the church? You see, unlike the other Ologies, the Christology, Soteriology, Eschatology, I find Ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, to be the most reflective because it is the most people-facing doctrine. No Christian thinks that they are in a perfect church. And if you think so, you probably haven't been in church long enough or haven't served in ministry. <laughs> so when you, when you read a book on the church, okay, on the doctrine of the church, and, and if you read a good book that shows you how God sees the church, you naturally reflect on your own church and your own church practices. And that is something good about um, what we have here. And I just mentioned church practices. By the time you reach the end of the book, you may have lots of questions on church practices. 
uh, questions like, how does a church help a person grow as a Christian? Why are churches so different? How do I find and join a church? And many more. Clink poses 20 questions in the end, and it's worth hearing his thoughts on many common questions asked about the church. If I can offer one criticism on the book is that it is a bit too neatly diced for my liking. It's a bit too clean cut. Uh, this may be a personal preference, but I am suspicious of alliteration. Have you tried doing them before? You have your text, you have your points. Now you try to be fancy and turn, try to turn these points into easy-to-remember alliteration points. But what happens when your last point resists? It doesn't want to be turned into a word that begins with the letter P. If you can't find the right word that begins with the letter P, do you choose the closest word? Even if that word does not exactly or fully convey the point you are trying to make. Or do you change the point? Do you adjust what you want to say so that the content better fits that word? Because that was the best word that you can think of. Or do you just give up on alliteration? But that would mean throwing away all the hard work you have done before. All those words that you have managed to figure it out. And you have to throw all of that away. Or do you just start over? Find a new letter? Maybe A, O, B, or C. There's uh, still a few more letters to go. Ah, so when it comes to alliteration, uh, in my own experience, I don't do them in my teaching or preaching. The gains I feel, the memory recall, are minimal compared to the compromises I almost always make. So when I read, I mean, when, when I read Clink's six P's in the table of contents, problem, principle, purpose, process, participation, and practice, then I read in chapter 2, the seven P's uh, to define the church, the church attributes, which are pleasure, people, presence, power, proclamation, provision, and purpose. When I ponder how he managed to produce and present such a perfect list, I could only pontificate, praise, and, and, and I can't think of another word that begins with the letter P. So in making alliteration, um, my... I just wonder whether is there a missing attribute, perhaps an important but not so important, that, uh, well, if we don't put it in, uh, people would not notice it. Uh, and, that would, and it didn't make the list simply because there was no convenient P-letter word for it. Mm, that sounds very dissatisfying to me. Now, to be clear, Clink gives no hint of such omissions. And I also want to be clear that uh, his alliterated points are thoroughly substantiated from Scripture. My question is perhaps uh, fairly academic, but hmm, how did he arrive at these seven attributes? Why not six? Why not ten? Why not nine? Now, if I'm spending time on this, it's because I greatly appreciate this distinction that he put in this book, this distinction between what the church is and what the church does. In fact, when I first learned it in another book, a light bulb came on. And for this, I owe a debt to Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church by Greg R. Allison. 
Alison gave me theological categories that helped me think on the seeker-sensitive movement, the purpose-driven life churches, um, small group networks, and many other church models. Uh, each of those models promises church growth and some greater proximity to the biblical church, the church as God intended. So when I read this uh, Alison's uh, book, um, the key takeaway, okay, the most important thing I can share over here is that um, there are ontological models of the church and there are functional models. Ontological models build on what the church is. Functional models are driven by what the church does. Does this sound familiar? So this distinction between what the church is and what the church does is a very, very important one, at least in my point of view. And um, coming back to Alison, so he also gave a definition of the church, so what the church is, and he also coincidentally also has seven points, which in my humble opinion is better than clings. Alison explicitly shows uh, the nature of the church with respect to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his definitions, and the boundaries between the points are clearer. Uh, they are not so mushy as clinks because, again, maybe it's the alliteration, but you see, clinks alliteration may help me remember that the church has the power of God, the proclamation of God, and the provision of God. But having remembered those P words, I struggle to distinguish between the power of God and His proclamation and provision. Because you could argue that the power of God is manifested in His proclamation. So what is the distinction? What's the boundary between these two um, attributes? We can accept some overlap, but then when, when people get confused, then it means that the terms are not defined uh, clearly enough uh, in the labeling, in the naming of it. Okay, so that's my contention. And uh, you can hear that I am profuse in my praise for Alison's book. But having said that, it is a tougher book to read. So I find it difficult to recommend it to the everyday Christian. But if you can, I do suggest reading it. I really enjoy Alison's book. A more accessible book that has gone into a fourth edition is Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. I, I'm quite sure that many people have read Dever's book, um, especially the listeners to this podcast. Uh, it is similar to Kling's local church in that this book is targeted towards the everyday Christian. Um, Dever's book is, uh, is helpful, okay? no doubt about it, especially for the busy pastor, the busy church leader, the busy church member. It has a no-nonsense feel to the way it's organized. It's very clear and uh, it's very easy to think through on that book and even apply. However, between uh, Kling's endeavors, I prefer Kling's book because I think first principles are more important in the long run. Okay, uh, Note my qualif qualifying statement. It is in the long run. For example, as churches everywhere struggle with online services, ask, is online service good, is it bad, is it biblical? Devers uh, Nine Marks doesn't really address the online issue. I mean, you can, if you wish, indirectly say that those uh, marks, how does it, what does it mean if it's online? Uh, but it is very indirect. Now, Clings in this regard does better. It talks about the presence of God, the people of God, and so on. But Allison uh, reads very well, even though his book was published in 2012. One of uh, Allison's seven definitions, okay, the last one, number seven, is the church is spatial, temporal, and eschatological, which means that the church is located in space, time, and destiny. 
And with this definition of the church, that the church is located in space and time, we can explore the Bible of whether a YouTube, anytime, anywhere service is an acceptable replacement or complement to the local church. Now, all the books I mentioned, okay, uh, Clings, uh, Dever, um, uh, Allison, they are all good and they all have their place. None have the last word. Uh, to illustrate this, I mean, we just have to look at Crossway's six-month publishing schedule. Local Church, the book I'm reviewing now by Edward Klink, uh, was published in October 2021. Rediscovered Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential by Jonathan Lehman was also published in October 2021. That's not all. The, another book, The Loveliest Place, The Beauty and Glory of the Church by Dustin Bench will be published in February 2022. That's a um, few days from now. No doubt there will be more books written and published as we the church try to make sense of what is happening around us and what is meant to happen to the church, in the church, for the church. So lots of things to write about the church, so that's a good thing. In conclusion, I suggest you need to read not just one book on the church, but if you are a new Christian or if you are a Christian who has grown indifferent or hostile against organized religion or the church, so you're not happy with how the church is uh, running itself and you want to read an easier book, then you should read Kling's book and consider this humble pastor theologian's answer to the question, why should I go to church? This is a reading and reader's review of the local church, what it is and why it matters by Edward W. Klink III. It's available in Amazon Kindle for $16.14 and in Logos, it's priced at $13.99. If you like this episode, perhaps I could persuade you to promote it to your preferred friends and family members. Reading and Readers is available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast services. You can also listen to the episodes in the website, www.readingandreaders.com. That's www.readingandreaders.com, a podcast where I review Christian books for you.